I want to welcome Billy Okofo to our episode, CIR Realty Business Mastery. Today is a conversation about racism. And Ooh. I got to be honest, I'm a, I'm a bit nervous about this conversation because you, you don't want to say the wrong thing. And, and this is something that I don't do a lot of social media posting. Uh, some people will notice it. They go to my account. It's like, boy, he just you know share stuff as wife's posts with him and the baby. Um, and lots of times, I don't know what to say during during this time. Um, and I, I don't know what I what I should say or if I should say anything. And um, I don't want to seem insensitive. And I'm I'm tiptoeing around this. And and I, I feel like I am uh, totally ill-equipped to talk about this because mm. um, of obviously, uh, you know, being white and uh, the, p- the position that I'm in. And I'll, I'll, I'll first of all, just say um, that, so if I, anything on the call, I just want to say here, anything on this webinar that we, that we, we talk about, um, you know, I, if I say anything, <laughs> I'm like, take it in, in a way of trying to understand. And that's sort of my, my caveat on yeah. this. And, um, I feel like I have tipped over, but before we get, before any of the conversation, I just want to introduce, uh, Billy, Billy has been in the real estate industry for about six years, but, um, Billy is an MBA. Uh, he is the vice president of business solutions for leading real estate companies in the world. He's doing phenomenal things to help CIR realty and the Canadian members within the network, uh, to get engaged. And he is, uh, the, the, the communication master. Um, Billy has one of the highest levels of integrity <laughs> that I know of in terms of email uh, response yeah. time, getting back, doing exactly what he says he's going to do, preparation. Uh, uh, Billy, first of all, just thank you again for joining us. It's, it's outstanding to have you. My pleasure. Now I have to live up to this person you just introduced. Like, thanks, <laughs> Well, let's, let's start off here. And Billy, I think we would be remiss by not going back because um, for people that aren't necessarily in the Inman circles, uh, Billy's a bit of a celebrity. And um, I'm not going to say a bit in the real estate industry, Billy is a celebrity because he has a fascinating story. So Billy, take us back um, and tell us about uh, where you grew up and how you ended yeah. up uh, where you are today. So first of all, it, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for making the time to having me. Um, hello, CIR. I hope everyone's doing well. So a little bit about me. Um, I was... Uh, so I was born in, in the U.S. from immigrant parents. My parents, my, especially my dad, was here um, for grad school. And um, my mom came over, and I just happened to be born in the United States. And so, but a year after my birth, dad went to get his Ph.D. in, in, in France. So he packed up the entire family, and we moved there. And I'm originally from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. So if you know your geography, it's one of the biggest country in Central Africa, if not the biggest. Um, and so, you know, after dad got his PhD in France, a doctorate, right? Like he decided to go back home because at that point it's been gone for at least seven years, uh, at the very minimum, right? Between the, two, the master's and the, um, you know, um, the, the, the PhD. So we met, went back to the Congo. So my, I guess citizenship was just an American on paper, right? I was playing soccer with all the kids there. I was talking uh, the common dialect. You know, I still speak the common ga- dialect there, which is Lingala, right? Wow. It's kind of like you're, you know, like I, I was a Congolese citizen by everything else. 
the only thing that separated me from everybody else was literally my citizenship, which was a U.S. one. You know, so fast forward to 1998, um, the Congo, unfortunately, had some experiences with civil unrest. And 1998 was one of those years where the unrest just culminated, right? The sitting dictator that was there was literally pushed out and a, uh, a, a rebel general basically took over the power. That insecurity coupled with the fact that in one of the neighborhood countries, Rwanda, like they had their own situation happening there, a genocide, which spilled over in the Congo. So it was a hot mess, right? The perfect sort of storm happening at once. And of course, if you a a foreign citizen, right? Um, your government at the time would have asked that you be evacuated from the country. So I'm the only American in my family. We're family wow. of four, right? I'm the only one that's born there. The order came in to evacuate all U.S. citizens. Um, and so, uh, and you know, it, I think becoming a parent um, gave me a certain understanding as to the difficulty of making the decision. Because my parents basically looked out at what, what's the worst that could happen. We have one child that could literally escape. Um, and so if we can save one of our kids, let it be the one that had, uh, that, that the, you know, that's well positioned for that, which happened to be me with the U.S. citizenship, right? So they made the decision there that I was going to be the one leaving. Well, essentially, they didn't make the decision. Like, they were told that I needed to go. And, and wow. so uh, I got on a plane, and, I, you know, this is 1998. I was 17 years old, which you, know, you can calculation as to what my age is now. Um, but basically a teenager, nothing, you know, no, no money, uh, no bank account, right? Like a, a duffel bag or whatever a teenager in a third world country can own. That was my life. And for, you know, I, I, and then I had a business card that my dad gave me basically said, once you reach the United States, make sure you contact this person, which was a family friend from the Congo who emigrated to the United States about five or six years before all this mess in 1998 happened. That was literally my entry point to the U.S., right? So picture me flying from the Congo to Europe, um, Europe to, 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 to New York, New York finally to Virginia, um, because that's where our contact was there, right? Um, and so I landed in Richmond International Airport in Virginia, uh, literally with nothing except a couple of changes in my pocket and a business wow. card with my, <laughs> our family friend, right? So that was my, right? Like, so this is the setup. This is me coming to the U.S., right, with no notion of what to expect, except that whatever that call was going to be, like, that was my lifeline here. If wow. I didn't kid, if nobody answered that call, Lindsay, you and I wouldn't be talking today, right? Like, so this is how crazy this, this is. Like, you know, one person took my phone call and completely changed the course of my entire life. So that's... That's the that's, background, right? So everything <laughs> well, you're talking about today, yeah, right? Like so this is the setup. Give us, give us the, the give us the Coles notes because I feel like there's a lot left to uh, law left to be rediscovered in there. So yeah. you're 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 here. You you get with this family, um, and and give us just sort of the highlight points of they they were obviously an awesome family, mm-hmm. and and how do you get to today? Like just just give us the stepping stones. Sure. So there's a twist to the story, right? So the family that I'm supposed to contact 
is a Congolese family, right? They have no idea that Billy is coming. <laughs> the, the first time they hear from me is basically when I call from the airport. And graciously, they were like, look, you know, come and stay with us. But they had no, right, they weren't ready for an additional kid to live with them. They made arrangement for me to stay with an American family who happened to be Caucasian, <laughs> uh, sort of middle class. Uh, and they were like, look, you know, we have a big house. Uh, Billy can stay w- with us. It was a single mom with three kids um, and seven cats, by the way. So for you cat lovers, <laughs> I-, I hope you, you appreciate this. Um, but yeah, like, you know, they, they could have said no. Like they, they just said, look, we have the means to helping you and we'll do it, right? Which meant, you know, feeding me, clothing me, right? Putting yeah. me in school or, you know, and, and, making sure I study, making sure I graduate, right? Uh, so all those sort of things. And then, you know, from high school, I finished high school in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, finished high school, went to college, four years undergraduate studies, came back, um, met my wife, um, you know, in the same area, uh, went and got master's. Uh, and then there was an opportunity to move to Northern Virginia. Uh, we did, uh, we moved to Northern Virginia. Uh, I started real selling real estate in 2014. Uh, the brokerage that I was selling with, right, um, they made me an offer to come on board as a full-time person. And so I moved from a sales person to a, you know, I was managing leads for a brokerage, our brokerage. So online leads that were coming in, I was the person incubating all of them and setting appointments for our agents, right? Um, and then I did that. I did recruiting. I went and worked for Inman for a, a little bit um, and then came back to the same brokerage. Uh, did recruiting now for the entire company, not just a particular area, which is what I was doing before. Um, and then a, an opportunity came to come to Leading RE, and that's it, right? But it was, a, I think it, it was, it, right? It was a series of very, um, you know, uh, very targeted interactions with people. Um, and I, I, I say this, you know, with, with all my, as possible, um, you know, it's being truthful as possible. I wouldn't be here today if people didn't invest into my life, right? And, and I think part of, you know, to me, the, the reason why Billy's life matters, right? It's not necessarily because of my skin color. And I know this, was gonna, <laughs> this is going to cause people to be like, well, don't you care about Black Lives Matter? Well, we, we all do, right? But I think there's a certain part in the, in the narrative that I will... I will be dishonest if I didn't acknowledge to, right? That there's a lot of people from different races in my background that have played a significant role in my life, right? The fact that they've laid down their resources, um, whether it's time, money, uh, you know, contacts, right? They sacrifice a whole lot for me, right? That's why my life, my life matters. Like, it's not certain, certainly because of my race, it's the fact that people have invested so much effort and so much resources in making sure I had opportunities. Those are the people that I need to honor, right? Yeah. Uh, and I work hard and, and you know, I, I, I try to do the best I can because I feel like I'm a steward of the time and resources they invested into me. It would be a shame if I squandered them, right? Their sacrifice is what gives me, uh, that makes my, gives me any importance. Right, like in terms of recognition, it's like it's not, you know, without them, you wouldn't have Billy, right? So 
that's the yeah. way I approach it, right? It's not necessarily, you know, something of, you know, the skin color is easier to see. Um, but really, let's, you know, to be completely honest about it, it's the fact that people have made conscious investment um, into, you know, bringing, helping me become the professional or the, you know, uh, the, the friend, whatever you have with them today. So, wow. You know, we, uh, we always start our meetings off with everyone uh, sharing a gratitude in our, mm-hmm. in our chat and, and we always share gratitude as well. And I've always been grateful for the fact that I was, you know, have no, um, like I have two working arms, two working legs. I got a, a brain that works and I feel like it's my duty every day to utilize those to offer value to the world. Yeah. And I never thought about being a steward of the gifts that other people have given me. And I love that perspective. And we all have, you know, people in our lives, our parents, or, you know, if we were adopted, you know, different sure, things like sure. that, teachers, mentors, um, you know, other people, other colleagues who have, who have yeah. invested time, energy, and resources into you. I love that perspective, Billy. I think that's a, I think that's outstanding. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Well, and when you think about it, you know, the amount of grace that, everyone shows you on your journey, right? It's unreal, right? How many times have I messed up? How many times, you know, could I have lost a job because of a mistake I've made? And still, you know, my supervisor or employer at the time, whatever, you know, friend was like, look, you know, let me give you another go at this, <laughs> yeah. right? Like that, that's, to me, that's what is worth honoring. Um, and so, you know, it, it's not distracting from the fact that there's some things that happen in, you know, especially in the U.S., right, or even to some point even in Canada. Uh, it's not distracting from the fact that people of color have, you know, call it, let's call it what it is. Like sometimes they, they're being passed for opportunities so whatever. But those things also exist in other places in the world, right? I, I escape a genocide <laughs> or right? From a neighborhood country. Like those are people who literally look the same to anybody that doesn't know the, the nuances. You, you know, they, they look the same, they appear the same. Yet they slaughter each other, right? Um, just to give you some statistics, the first, the, on the first day the Rwanda genocide started, 500,000 people died, right? Like I'm not talking about someone being shot or, you know, one person dying, right? 500,000 people died in like the first day. And so like, this is literally, I mean, and this is recent history, like 1998, it's not that far removed from, 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 from our time. Right. But that's, and those are, you know, people who literally look the same. And the only reason why one tribe went after the other was literally because of tribalism. Right. The narrative that we use to even, address each other, right? Like, and it, you know, one tribe started calling the other, you know, inferior, they were cockroaches, and then it was, on tel- it was on the radio, and the media was used to fuel that difference until the, the day people literally grabbed machetes and were like, let's go after each other, right? This is what I escaped from. So coming to the US, right, like, there's, you know, and it, please don't get me wrong, there's a lot of things that need to be addressed, right? Like, there's a lot of injustices, whatever, but I think for me personally, um, if I were to worry about just how, many, how much time, it, it's not worth my energy to worry about it on a scale that I should be grateful and thankful for what other people have done and continue to do for me. 
that's the fire that fuels like you know my life like i don't go out every day you know, when i used to go out i guess covid's changed that too um yeah <laughs> but when i went when i went out i never it never entered into my mind that i should be fearful for my life you know i sh- you know sometimes i don't know people have other phobias right like other fears the thought of some you know a, a, a caucasian person coming to me and do me harm just never enter my psyche never right i and because i you know even you know even in the midst of um everything that's being talked about right now it's just not registering right because i i don't right like i go to the store you know my kids go to school whatever like we we go like yesterday we went um we we're very fortunate we had some friends that uh, rented a boat and invited us and we went out with them on, on, on the river. Uh, great memories, right? Like yeah. it just never, and like that notion that I should be absolutely fearful for my life just never enters it. Um, wow. That has nothing to do with my background. It's just that I'm here, I'm walking out of my door, I'm going about my business. And, you know, I don't fear anybody sort of coming at me and jumping me out. Well, they can try. I'm six foot four, 275 pounds of muscle. Yeah. <laughs> we, can, we can have at it, right? But like, you know, um, maybe that's intimidating, but um, that's not a fear that I share. And so, um, but that's not given to a lot of people. So maybe there, there's that too. Um, well, let's, um, let's talk for a second about... Um, you know, the racism that, that you've experienced in, in your sure. life. And because um, although there isn't that, I'll call it a fear for your personal safety, there, that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you haven't necessarily experienced things in your life that, um, that a lot of us can't relate to. And we're actually really fortunate as a brokerage because we have so many different races with us. Um, and we are so grateful to have that in our, um, in some of our offices, you know, yeah. leading our luxury thing about, or even leading our and spanning the world. We have posters up of different areas of the world and we represent so many different countries. It's amazing. And we love it. Um, but you had a, you, you have a unique experience because, and I remember we were sitting down for dinner in Banff and you were talking and you said, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, black enough because I had these white parents and I also wasn't white enough to have like to fit in with, with different groups um, because your background was mixed. You didn't come from, you know, the, the hood in Baltimore or, you know, something like that. It's like, um, so, so take us through your life journey and the type of experiences you did have. Yeah. So um, this is a great question. Um, And and I'm going to answer it from, hopefully all these angles will make sense uh, because this is how com- complex to me racism or the, the, the topic of racism is. So when I got here from the U S right, like, so I'm a teenager in Norfolk, Virginia, my host family is Caucasian, right? Um, you know, I, when you're in the Congo and you look at, at, at or certainly in other African countries, right? When you aspire to come to the U S you're trying to identify with something that's closer to you. And the closest thing to your culture might very well be African-American culture, right? You watch the movies, you, you fall in love with the sport, right? Um, you know, uh, athletes and, and, and the music, right? Rap music, you know, all of this were appealing. Um, so when I got here, you know, that's what I, my initial aspiration was to, to live that life. Right. Um, 
and the moment I got closer to African Americans in my school, and by the way, this is not an indictment on African American culture in general. I'm just sharing my experience. Um, you know, the moment I got closer to African Americans there, you know, my accent, right, was the first thing they noticed. It didn't compute. It made no sense to them. And so they did the first thing they could do, which was laugh at it, right? I speak French fluently, hence the reason I don't sound quite American. Um, yeah. But they did, you know, them, that was something to make fun of, right? I didn't dress like most people dressed in high school. Like, I like my pants to fit my waist. You know, I, I like <laughs> my shirt to look a certain way. Right? I, I like my shirt to look a certain way, which wasn't welcome, right? I didn't listen to rap music. And to this day, I still don't quite listen to rap music, right? Because I love Irish music. <laughs> people are like, wait, what? <laughs> I, I do, right? And in fact, two of my favorite artists, you know, just happen to be Canadian, right? So <laughs> Natalie McMaster, like if you don't know who she is, she's an amazing violinist. And yes. Lorena McKennett, whose, whose music is, is a bit more global, hey, right? Like Mummer's right? Dance and Dante's Prayer that's are two it. of my that's, favorite songs of all time. Honestly, Dante's it. Prayer is the number one listened to song in all my Apple music of all time. And it's like the slowest piano thing. It's amazing. It's a huge Lorena McKennett fan. Anyways. Right, like her voice is just, you know, it could literally, like if you're mad at the world. Piercing, like can, yes. Yes. So, but like, I love that stuff. Right, like that's, you know, I, I, I love the complexity of the music. My son plays violin, hence Natalie McMaster, whatever. Like rap music for me was not appealing. But again, when people find out about mu my music taste, they were like, well, okay, you're not black enough. Okay, well, what is that supposed to mean? Like, it, it's, is there a subculture here that you know, I should be aware of. So I was kind of cast out, right? So that, that was first experience. Then I go to, you know, um, college. You know, I went to a very small private college in um, sort of rural Virginia, um, considered South. 97% of the kids attending their work occasion, right? Um, now that you know sort of my backstory, if there was any hint of racism there, what would I have spent four years going there, right? Like if I felt like people hated me, I literally spent my undergraduate <laughs> studies going to a, a very uh, Caucasian-heavy all-male school in middle of nowhere, Virginia. So, and I had the, the absolute best time there. Like I felt I was included. I felt like people uh, appreciated me. I contributed. People wanted my contribution. Right, that was great. Um, but, you know, part of me that was confused internally was that I, you know, I, I, was, I was brought up to sort of care about, you know, looking at African-Americans as my, you know, culture that I needed to associate with. And I felt like more so I, I spent time trying to fit in there and not getting accepted. And then the culture that everybody was basically saying, you know, pay attention, like, uh, those are the people to avoid, like white people, you know, like they were like, hey, um, we want to welcome you. We want to embrace you. Uh, and I'm sorry, I think someone is cutting uh, his grass behind us. Uh, <laughs> but if you hear so No, it's all good. Okay, good. Um, you know, the culture I was sort of brought up to fear was very inclusive. So I, it, it was really, um, you know, it, it was a weird time for me. <laughs> right? And so... Um, but, you know, that happened and was great. 
But here's where it gets complicated for me, right? If I were to go back to the Congo, say today, right, and, and want to start a business there or move my family there, uh, I would not be accepted. Why? Because by now I've spent probably more time living abroad than I have living in the Congo. And my own people, right, the Congolese people will look at me and say, you're no longer one of us, right? So here's my dilemma, Lindsay. African-Americans don't want to do anything with Billy. Congolese people don't want to do anything with Billy. And now you're telling me, right, that there's basically systematic racism built in into all the institutions here in the United States that will make it so people that look like me could not even succeed. So where do I fit, right? And this yeah. is, I think, you know, and this is part of the conversation that is not being addressed because nobody really, you know, it, it's not my perspective that people are looking for, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, when you speak of, to me about racism or, you know, not being accepted culturally, that's the lens I'm looking at. So I have a, three places where I could literally or hopefully find some sort of acceptance and I'm not going to be accepted, <laughs> right? My own people right. in the Congo, uh, African-Americans are still, you know, um, just so you know, like if, I f- if you follow me on Facebook, you'll notice that my family is, you know, multicultural. My wife yeah. is half Irish, half Mexican, right? And my, ki- my poor kids have now to suffer through this, right? <laughs> so there's places in the United States where I can't even take my family because they will be cast out, right? So what, uh, you know, <laughs> where do I fit in, right? I yeah. have... You know, so to me, it's, it, it's easier for, to identify racism and looking at someone that looks like you, Lindsay, and say, you're the source of all my, my, my problems. I'm like, well, nobody's addressing what I have to go through. Right. And that's part of the conversation as well. Um, the other side of it, right, so come, trying to come for a circle a little bit. If, you know, Lindsay, you know, if someone, if a Caucasian person were to come to me and say, Billy, I want to experience everything that you experience to on a daily basis when it comes to racism. I want to walk with you. I want to, you know, have, uh, I, I just want to understand. I want to listen. And if I were to take a notebook like this, right, and basically write down everything that I have to deal with when it comes to discrimination, racism, whatever you have, and I handed this to my friends that Caucasian, right, and I said, here it is. 365 days during the year, this is exactly what I experienced. Now, you get to experience that, you know, by just signing here at the bottom, and now you get to share that experience with me. Now, I'm no math genius, right? <laughs> I'm pretty yeah. sure almost 99.9% of the people out there would not sign the document, right? Yeah. Because they don't, you know, why should you live your comfort and everything that you work towards in your life to experience something that you're not ready for, right? And let's be honest, like, what kind of friend will I be if this is, I want you to experience suffering? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense, right? Um, and so most Caucasian people will not want to embrace that. Here's the flip side of it. Even if you had the best intention, right? If you were to say, I will sign this, Billy, let's go, right? In most African-American you know, groups, they will look at that as you being privileged. The fact that you can even choose to be miserable <laughs> right. is, yes. is in, in itself a privilege 
to some other people are like, how dare you, right? Like, what are you trying to show? Like, you know, this is my life every day and you can turn off your privilege and comment. No. So I don't think in terms of race conversation, we are being honest about it. Like we, not here, obviously, but just the collective conversation is not being approached from a point of honesty. On one hand, you have people who say they want to embrace and they want to understand and they want to jump in, you know, in, in, the, in, in the waters of injustice with you. Given the option, they wouldn't want to take it. On the other hand, you have a group of people um, who want, you know, who keep asking to be heard and they want change. But when you're trying to be, meet them where they are, they're not going to let you. So this is where we are, right? Like in, in terms of the conversation, nobody wants to admit where they are honestly. And I think it, as long as we do not address that, to me, we're still circling around the issue. It was a long-winded answer, yeah. but there's a lot there. <laughs> there there's, there's a lot, a, there's there, a lot there. There's a lot yeah. there to unpack. And well, let's let's turn that. Let's turn that to recent recent events now. Let's um, sure. So the death of George Floyd um, mm-hmm. has brought the topic front front and center. The riots, yeah. the protests mm-hmm. that we see here, and you know, we like to think that Canada isn't as bad in some places as, as someplace in the U S but I would say that's that there's pockets of it. And I will tell you something that when you go to a lot of places in Canada, anywhere, anywhere in Canada, it's, it, it exists. And also, I mean, especially some of the rural areas where it's just as, as visible and as unfiltered as you can possibly have it. And then you have it where you, you have you know big centers like Toronto and Calgary and Vancouver where it is more um, I would say systemic versus just you know um, what's the word I'm looking for obvious I guess mm-hmm. um, and it does happen and I think we need to recognize that but let's talk about George Floyd for a second and how has that affected you in Virginia from where you are where what yeah. is what is the impact of that um, from what you've seen around you. So there's been, you know, marches, protesting. Um, you know, I live not too far away from Washington, D.C. So a lot, of, you know, I'm, I guess, for lack of a better term, in a sur- suburbs. So we weren't really, you know, there hasn't been really anything much about, you know, what's happening, you know, in terms of protests here. There's like a couple, um, but they were all, all just peaceful people marching, holding signs. Uh, nothing of the sort of what you probably saw in in, in Chicago or yeah. uh, in other places where there's riots and looting, that sort of thing. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that he had to to uh, uh, to perish. Um, you know, in the way that he did, right? Uh, and the most unfortunate part of all of this is that you have, you know, it, it's not just his death; it's you know everything sort of that led up to it, right? Uh, you can analyze the whole situation and basically find just about, you know, any pockets of it where it's like, in hindsight, it's always worth looking and be like, well, I would have done something differently. Well, probably you wouldn't have bet, right? Um, and it's it just an unfortunate situation that led both the, the, the cops and George Floyd into a place where, you know, um, unfortunately, he had to pay for his life, right? Uh, I... You know, I, the news is that the, 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 the officer in question, um, 
you know, he, he's facing serious charges, right? Uh, and yep. other officers as well that were on the scene. Uh, I think there's something to be said about how, as a police officer, maybe some of the training or, you know, things that they're being taught of should at least have some degree of consideration in terms of, you know, restraints and using force, whatever it is, right? So there's good arguments being made right now in, in that regard. Um, you know, and, and the part that it's also happening is that, you know, there's conversation here that, you know, wouldn't happen before or where, you know, people were, were too scared to have, right? So if there's any light to it, like the fact that you and I can even be here talking about this is a win, right? Like usually you have people just screaming at each other and not providing a forum where there could be a, an exchange of conversation. And I think this is what's, you know, if there's any sort of light here, uh, it's that it now is creating mediums for people to actually have conversation, hard ones, right? But really, truly understanding each other. Um, and so, you know, like that's, that's about it as, <laughs> as optimistic as, as you can look at this. Um, there's still some very angry people out there. Um, uh, I personally don't think that looting a place is a way of having those kind of conversations. Um, it just doesn't accomplish much. Um, I think people are using his death, unfortunately, to exp you know to do certain things that have nothing to do with the problem at hand. Um, yeah, and and that's unfortunate. So, yeah, that's there's that. Yeah, the other agendas that are out there as well is a mm -hmm. is a scary thing, and we see that anytime with extremism, um, even in COVID, we've seen yeah different things and people trying to impart their agendas and say this is the perfect time now because of the, the other distraction that's happening. But uh, racism is far from a distraction because it is something that needs to be um, addressed and have good conversations about. And I got to tell you, as as someone in my position, even when you and I first chatted, I'm like, Billy, I'm going to try to put together the, the questions for this or the, <laughs> and I, I am tiptoeing through the tulips on this one because I just, I don't know what, I don't know what questions I should be asking in a lot of cases. And cause I feel yeah. like anything I talk about is with this filter. So take us through now. And, and you talked about one conversation. One conversation is that we can't know what you go through on a daily basis. We can't know what an African-American goes through on a daily basis. I'm going to turn the conversation as well to a bit broader here because we in Calgary, uh, and I'll just take my knowledge of Calgary, but we have, you know, a, a massive uh, East Indian population. Uh, we mm -hmm. have a massive, uh, you know, Chinese uh, population. We have everything actually Japanese yeah. and, and all, all races who I, I think go through these different um, experience some level of the same thing. And in some level, it's so different. Um, and so we sure. can't necessarily walk into each other's shoes. So two parts to this converse, to this, this question is what are the conversations we should be having and what should we be doing as a society? So that's a good one. Um, I think, you know, first of all, you know, having a conversation about race, it's hard enough, right? Um, I think we all should recognize that racism is not just a, a, an American or Canadian issue. It is a global issue, right? Totally. And, and I, you know, and then let's be honest about it. Like, I think part of the reason why it's so hard to have conversations about it is because we don't want to acknowledge this simple fact, right? Racism exists 
not just in the United States, not just in Canada, it exists everywhere, right? I think part of the issue to me is that everywhere else it happens, there's not that much lights under it, right? Like to, to shine that it also happens other places. There's a whole lot of lights here. And by light, I mean, you know, uh, people with cell phones, media, you know, talking points to, to, to highlight the fact uh, that, it's, that it, it is there. I also believe that for as long as we have human-made systems, they're always prone to flaws. And racism is one of those flaws that unfortunately would never be eradicated, like per se. It could be dealt with when people have mediums like this, what they can talk about, right? Um, but, and, you know, as, 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 you know as, as something in the system, like I don't know that, it, you know, it will be virtually free of any sort of discrimination. And that's a somber thought, but I think knowing, you know, we need to, knowing that this is the enemy, we can also win in different places, right? And then for instance, like we can win in the way we engage people, right? Um, case in point, this is a Palestinian Kafka, right? Like I went to Palestine, I purchased this. It, to me, this is a souvenir, right? Like, and I, right, of a place that I absolutely came to love, right? I, lo I love my time in Israel, right? Um, yeah. We should have conversations about why is it that, you know, uh, in, in most cases, African-Americans people don't like to discover other cultures, right? Um, or, you know, the, the notion of even this was someone doesn't sing in our mind, right? And you can make the same cases for very Caucasian-centric places, you know, um, or companies. Right? The notion to even go and, you know, interact with other races doesn't as well and so uh, and, and and to me that's what we should if anything else recognizing that our business is a global business our communities are global communities um, and the more informed you are about other people's way of life the less you will be um, you know compelled to see color as the first thing right um, that's that's what we should be striving for like uh, towards I, I think as, as people is to understand that, you know, um, the, you know, my business is just, my business is not conditioned by my race, right? I, I take it as far as I want to. Uh, and that includes connections, that includes friendships, right? Like uh, relationship um, is not conditioned on color. While we try and sometimes we limit to that <laughs> just because yeah. certain, you know, certain people tend to agree um, with what we said, you know, and we're trying to limit that agreement to just a, a very, um, very particular group of people. I think that's the wrong way to approach um, anything, right? And so, um, I will say, if people, you know, where do we go from here? We should consciously start looking for where there's deficiencies in our own social circles or business circle, and working to remedy this. I'll give you an example. When I was in business school, uh, when I got my MBA, we have capstone sort of courses to take, right? Um, you know, one of them, and it's available to all students. You can decide where to go, um, the, you know, to around the world, where, you know, if you wanted to study a certain facade of the business, you can make decisions as to where you can go. My business school class had, I think it was about a third of, a, of my classmates were from India, right? 
So every day you will come to school, right? Like, you know, they will interact with each other. Some of them will speak Hindi. There's some jokes that they will tell, you know, uh, or they will talk about certain things. And I, I couldn't partake in it because I didn't understand it. So the opportunity came for me to go to India for 10 days to learn um, some business practices and visiting the country. I signed up for it. Because when I was able to understand to be in that community. And I did. Best 10 days that I could ever spend in India. And so coming Amazing. back, I felt a different level of, of connections with my classmates. Just because, I, you know, I spent 10 days somewhere. Like, it's not a lifetime. Just 10 days gives you a window of the world. Or a window of the communities that you wouldn't even know, right? Why aren't we pursuing those opportunities, right? And so to me, that's like, well, if you have no interest of getting to know opportunities uh, or another culture, like regardless of your race, you can't argue necessarily for people to recognize who you are if you don't express the same interest in them, right? Like, to yeah. me, that's, that's where we need to go. Yeah. If I, yeah. I, I answered the question, but I, I, I believe... This is the remedy that people are ignoring. You know what I mean? So yeah, I love what and almost that. Understand? I want to share. I want to share two quick stories. And um, one of them was a friend of ours. We love. We go to Puerto Vallarta all the time. And I, so I just want to say first of all that this is we talk about color as an issue, and that's a very visible one. But you talked about your situation in Congo, where in the Congo, where it, color wasn't the the issue. It was this, this it tribalism. Yeah. And, and then we talk about, you talk about Palestine as a perfect example where, uh, you know, you have the exact same situation and the, 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 the issues, the, the things that the Jews have and Jewish communities have been a part of, of anti-Semitism and mm -hmm. things like that over, you know, generations now is, <clears throat> is just massive. And the wars that we see, the civil wars that we see and, yeah. and racism is very strong. You go to Ireland and it's the same type of thing. You go to Italy, it's the same thing. Uh, my my father-in-law will not go to the south side of Italy because he's from northern Italy and all the southerners are, you know, whatever type thing. So, but I just want to share a quick yeah. story. One was, one was we were in Porta Vallarta and we stay in uh, Zona Romantica, which is uh, the gay district. And it is, and we absolutely love it. It is the, the best place. We had a friend of ours there. And after spending a week there, he was, I would say he was a little bit homophobic. And you, of course, you're in the absolute epicenter mecca um, of gay culture there. And it was, we had a blast and at the end of it. And I'm almost embarrassed for him to have to say this, but he's like, boy, gays are people too. And you're like, oh my gosh, like, wow, you know, heaven forbid, like that's, that's crazy. And I'll tell you another story we're sharing with um we had, cause we're going to, we're going to get into this conversation here in a second about doing business with different cultures, but we had yeah. a, um, one of our realtors and I was at their house and we were, we were doing dinner. He was telling us about, um, where he's from and how corrupt the government was, you know, police pull you over and you're like, Oh, well, what'd you pull me over for? He's like, Oh, just give me a second here. And it's like, you know, um, your taillight is a bit dirty and your, you know, this is a bit, uh, this is a bit of a problem. You know, maybe, um, you know, what do you got there? Uh, and he's like, well, I don't have any money. And he's like, well, you know, he's like, well, I got this banana. And the officer says, well, I'll take that and, and take it. And the guy literally had to bribe him with like a banana and like, you know, he didn't have any cash in his wallet. And that's all the officer was looking for is a bribe. Yeah. So fast forward to, we, we have someone from the similar culture. It was a staff member who we were, uh, we had to terminate, unfortunately. And, um, 
we, we sent over some paperwork and there was something in there. There was an oversight on our part. Oh, we forgot to delete that from the template. And she was like, you guys are trying to, you know, sneak this in. You guys are trying to, um, you know, as a corrupt, trying to screw me in, in that way. And, and that was because of the culture that, you know, she was hypervigilant of where she grew up. And to me, yeah. that was, you know, you, you see that and you just think, wow, like no wonder you have to be suspicious. No wonder you have to approach that because in their culture, that's a real concern. Like that's a yep. real issue. Um, so I love what you talked about, about walking, um, you know, uh, a little bit in some of, you know, and walking in somebody's shoes for, for a little bit, at least understanding, because, you know, you, you, you understand these cultures and you go there to India. I would love to have that experience. I have not been to India. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Let, it let would change up. your life. Like, you, oh, when you I go. Bet. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Let's, let's talk for a second about, um, uh, racism in, in real estate and let's, you know, mm. we have it where there is pockets in our, um, in our city that, um, you know, obviously in every city has that you have like Chinatown sure. and you have every areas, you know, in Toronto, there's like little Italy and, um, and obviously these people want to be around people with similar cultural practices as themselves and their friends and things like that. And even yep. speak the language in a lot of cases. So we see that, but we see it constantly where realtors are discouraging areas of the city. And, you know, speaking of our mayor in Calgary, anyways, um, trying to, trying to sort of figure that out. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that. I just want to make that comment, but let's talk for a second just about dealing with ethnicities, different business practices and sort of expectations without being prejudiced. How do you, how do you get yeah. past that prejudice that you sort of bring to a conversation via business, via with a client, things like that? How is that approached? How should we approach that? Honestly, like, I don't know how it is even present, right? And, and, and I'm being honest with this comment. Like, I don't know how this even came to be, right? Um, I think some people just assume that because, you know, let's just say, like, there's a flat, you know, or, or a condo that happens to be in a prim primary Chinese district, you know, and you have Caucasian people, um, you know, it, it, it fits what they're looking for. And then you take it upon yourself to say, you know, hey, maybe this is not a good place for them. Maybe I should wait for something to come up, right? Service shouldn't have any colors or hit with it, right? Right. Um, and if you're a real estate agent, like that's not even your call to make. You present the opportunity and say, look, here's the opportunity. Like you were looking for a two bedroom, two bath condo. There's one that happens to be right in Chinatown. It is within your price range, it has everything you're looking for. Would you be interested in going seeing that, right? Let the client tell you basically, right? Like this, right? Um, yeah. It's, to me, it's to tell them whether or not they're racist, right? Um, I, I think that's sometimes the mistake that we as agents, we, we tend to <laughs> jump quickly into this. Um, you know, we, I should present the opportunity based on the criteria they give me. Now, if they give me a criteria saying like, hey, we don't want to live in Chinatown, I can't yeah. do my job properly, right? Because I'm like, well, now you're asking me to restrict your searches based on, you know, culture or skin color, whatever it is. I can't do that as an agent. You know, you might need to find another real estate agent. Like, I can't service you. 
you asked me to look for a two bedroom, two bath condo. This came up is exactly what you told me that will fit your criteria. If you don't want to <laughs> go for it for any particular reason, other than the fact that maybe you can't afford it or <clears throat> whatever it is, that's okay. But like if you introduce race into it, like then you need to look for a different realtor, right? Like I, I think we need to be proactive with the business. And when there's, you know, if for no other reasons, you know, your, your clients or even you as a realtor, like if you don't have any other reason other than race to avoid servicing people, that maybe you're in the wrong industry, right? Uh, so that's, to me, that's, it should never be present in there. But the fact that it is just shows you that people, you know, have biases. Uh, and we need to stand firm and saying, this is only so far we could go. I'm sticking yeah. with the business, right? Um, and then, you know, the same is for me, right? Like I don't, I never want someone to look at me and give me opportunities simply by virtue of my color. Like then you, you know, you, you're not acknowledging the fact that I, I, I have worked hard. I, I studied, I have some experience. You just literally look at me and say, you know, we don't have much black people in the organization. Maybe we should have Billy. It's like, well, that doesn't make me feel good. Right. Yeah, I'm, totally. You know, totally. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be a quarter to somebody else. Like I want you to accept me on my own merit. Um, and you know, sometimes it's, it's a harder path. You know, the easier, easiest path will be for people to just kind of look at me and say, Hey, yeah, we, we need diversity, right? Let's have Billy, you know, and, and I don't want that path. I want you to look at my credentials and look at the things I work on. And based on you make a decision, um, you know, to either work with me or as an agent or whatever it is, you know, based on those things. And so to me, that's the opportunity that, you know, I am fighting for if there is, you know, if we, if we are to articulate those things in those terms, you know, I, I'm not, pro, you know, I'm not protesting. I'm not watching for people. You know, I'm, I'm trying to be diligent with the resources that have been given to me simply because I want people to look at the way I think, make it conscious, you know, decision based on my intellect. That's, you know, uh, anything beyond that, I can't control it. The things I control, it's like, you know, uh, do I present myself? What I, uh, I, 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 you know, the type of services I provide. That's what I want people to, uh, you know, um, to think about when they're looking to send me business or whatever. So, it, totally. especially when I was an agent. Right? So, um, racism in real estate is a, is a hard one to, to tackle too. Uh, because, you know, and, and this is back to a comment that you made earlier, Lindsay, like you know, the notion of systematic racism, uh, it's also been talked about in real estate. And to be completely honest, I have an issue with that, right? Because you, you basically saying to me that this whole system, real estate system, has been designed, right, to make people who look like me unsuccessful. Well, then what does that make me? Like a, an anomaly, Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm not the only one in, in, you know, I can point to very, to a lot of people of color in the industry who have done amazingly well. What is it that they got to real estate that, you know, other people are not getting, right? Yeah. Every, I have the same CRM. I, 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 you know, I reach out to my clients, I prospect 
I do open houses, I use marketing, right? Like, so we have the same tools. They may, give or take, they've made it all available to us, right? I'm able to do the business. It's not the win, right? And now you, people are telling me that this very system is biased towards people who look like me. And I'm like, well, if that is even remotely the case, right? The best win you can do for me is to teach me, and then this is to everybody that's, you know, any, any people here, right? If you believe that the industry is so disenfranchised toward people of color, the best win you can give them is to take the very industry where they're not supposed to succeed and make them widely successful. Totally. Right? Totally. Like, yeah. Because then you like, at some point people realize it. It's like, well, wait a minute. This system was not supposed to work, work this way, yet it is, right? And I, look, I am a testament of it, right? If it wasn't supposed to work out, we wouldn't be here having this conversation. So I, I don't particularly agree that there's, there's, there's a system that was built towards my disfavor. And if there is, then the best way to beat the system is for me to be successful. Totally. Love that which will require investing, right? Like uh, investing into my education, my training, right? So that I can literally stand and say, yes, system, you were not designed for me to be successful. Let me show you what I've done. There is yeah. no excuse for it, right? Like, and, and I think this is, the, this is the spirit that broker owners, um, I think should adopt, right? We can have conversations about racism any single day, right? You may learn something new, you may learn, you know, or it may be just a rehashing of what you already know, but the proof is in the pudding, right? If you have agents of callers that can literally point out to the fact that this industry has made them successful, that's the win, right? And, and to me, that's what we should all strive towards. So I, I don't have time to worry about someone not liking me. <laughs> I, I just, <laughs> because of my color, yeah. this is not something Billy worries about. Um, yeah. Because I'm focusing on two things. I'm focusing on doing what's right by the people who invested into me and making sure they give me opportunities. I want to do right by them. And frankly, like if you're telling me that this entire system is biased towards me, then I'm going to work hard to show you that this is what I believe, you know, and, and America, right? Like either the US or even Canada, it's not unlike any other places in the world where you can literally come out of nothing, utilize an oppressive system to be successful. Where did this happen? <laughs> yeah, right. totally. It would never happen in the Congo. Like I can tell you, you know, in other places in the world, like it would never happen. But yet it happens here. There's a reason for that, right? Um, and that's what, in spite of all the, you know, uh, the issues that may arise, unfortunate they may be, I still believe that this is, I couldn't be in a better place in my journey in the industry and life if it wasn't me being here, like in, in, in this country. And I, I leverage opportunities that are presented just for that reason. So. Billy, that's a great, that's a great, um, that's a great answer. Um, and, or some great comments as well to that. Um, you know, I, 
I want to I want to have you speak for a second to we have so many diverse people on the call here. Um, I always say the call like if this is like 1996. Um, okay, it's not a conference call yes. on the webinar, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I gotta catch up with time the times here. But how should is someone who is the victim of racism, someone who is obviously you know facing it head on. And it's overt, you yeah. know, it's not subtle, it's not this, like, was I looked over for a position or not? It's like, um, this is like someone says a comment, a derogatory comment, whatever there is. How, how should people respond to that? Um, what what yeah. should um, educate people? And we're talking, we're talking um, any person of color, Aboriginal, um, you know, Eastern, it doesn't sure. matter. Um, like what, even a Jewish, it's like, yeah. how do you, what's, how do people respond to that? So... I can never control what other people will say. That, that's a fact. I can never control how they will service me. What they, like, that's not within my realm of control. I can control how I respond to it, right? And so that's, to me, that's the first thing to realize. That you know, it doesn't matter if you're competent. You know, someone out there will always, you know, will try to pass judgment or will say something to you that may or may not be kosher. I get it right they're not my worry yeah <laughs> like, like I, I don't worry about them simply because you know I, I i just don't right i can control the way i respond to it and sometimes to me it's like i'm, I'm not even acknowledging that you're there right um or uh, the billy way of doing it it's literally to turn all those things that i use negatively um you know just speak about me or about my race and turning them into it to uh, something, you know, to be laughed at or a joke, right? So I'll give you an example, right? When I went to the, um, the, the, the Las Vegas conference, like, you know, the event that we had, this, yeah. this past one was literally before Las Vegas shut down and then, you know, due to COVID. So we were still there, you know, reduced attendance, whatever. So I was hanging out with one of our members, uh, who, you know, Kevin Skipworth, uh, yep. of Dexter Realty in, in Vancouver, BC. Um, and we took this picture, right? And it was uh, old Polaroid that, you know, was there as kind of like a fun, fun thing to have on a table to utilize to create memories. Like we took this picture um, and it had a flash, right? And so the picture comes out, we shake it up. And you can see Kevin, um, you know, he bright, colorful Kevin, Caucasian. And then literally I was asking, I'm like, well, something is not right here because you can not see me. Like you can see my teeth, right? Yeah. You can see my eyes. And that was it. I was like, here we go again. Yeah. Right? Like this, this is, it, it never fails, right? Like it just never fails, right? Um, totally. I think it's taking situations like this where people might feel uncomfortable and turning that into a way of breaking down barriers, right? And I'm usually pretty forward in saying stuff like this because yeah. then you can literally see people's walls breaking down. When people realize that you will not, you know, um, pass judgment upon them simply because they don't know what to say or they haven't encountered any situation of that nature, they open up, right? It's the same thing across all the culture, right? Um, I have mad respect for people who take the time to even understand some form of the Congolese culture, right? Um, whatever they may be, right? Um, 
And I'm not asking people to sacrifice whatever culture they came from in order to belong or try to belong to the other one. You can start by at least learning how to say hello in that culture, right? <laughs> that, that's, yeah. you know, and, and, and that's, it sounds so simple, but like if I speak, you know, I learn how to say hi in Arabic. So yesterday, in matter of fact, my, my wife's friend who's from uh, Lebanon, you know, I, it was basically the first time we kind of hung out. Um, and I asked her, I was like, are you from Lebanon? It's like, yeah, so you speak Arabic? She said, yes. And I was like, al marhaba, which is hi, uh, uh, hello in Arabic. She was like, <laughs> you have someone from the Congo who speaks Arabic to you. Like, it just, it, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I yeah. live for this, right? Like, <laughs> I live for this. Because what you're doing is basically, you know, you're causing people to try to find connections, like however far they might be, but what it's causing is what you, you took the investment to learn at least that about me. And the fact that, you know, you can greet me in my mother tongue. Let's talk. Like we can connect. Like I feel yeah. like I can trust, right? Like, um, yes. I mean, that's the power we wield as real estate agents for every communities that we, we hang out with, right? Uh, or we trying to help at least some having, you know, having some form of affinity that's just beyond the, the scarf, right? Like it's a scarf plus something else, right? So like I can walk to a, 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 a Arab, you know, um, a, a Libyan store, um, I'll feel just fine. I can go to an Indian store, I feel just fine. I can go to a Chinese store, I feel just fine. I can go to a, a typical Southern store here in the United States, I don't fear that, right? Like, yeah. I've studied and lived among those people, and I came out just fine, right? Um, and so to me, it's like the, the more you try to bridge, be, be the bridge of the, the people you want to connect, like become the connector beyond just real state like become the person that other people can look and say you know what this person is the one that i want on my team because they can they allow me to connect with other people as well so that's you know, you, to me right like this is this is where you go right like uh, there's no yeah. other places to go it's like you have to be that link for a lot of people you can't be you know, I, I don't have time to worry about myself, right? Like when I invest in the lives of others, magical thing happen. They invest back into me. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I want to, I want to dig in just for a second here into something you've actually given this phenomenal piece of advice wrapped up in your comments because, you know, realtors, you know, if you, if you don't speak the language of somebody else, you can't properly represent them. Like trying to explain the, something to them and things like that. So while you may not seek out um, clients that you can't speak the language with, you have to know that when you're representing your client with whatever nationality or race you're, you're, you're dealing with, and that's your client, and then you're going to get offers in from all these other cultures, all these other races, things like that. And from realtors who are all this, you know, um, that have these different backgrounds. And I suggest my advice to any realtor is, especially in the areas that you deal with, it's like I would be learning um, more about the, the 
uh, East Indian culture or, um, you know, Punjabi or, um, Hindi, Hindu and, you know, and, um, and Chinese and Mandarin and Cantonese. And like you said, learn the greeting of the language, learn a little bit about the standard business yeah. practices in there, because then when offers come in, whether the realtor or the client is there, you understand where they're coming from a little bit. Yeah. You go to some of these cultures and, um, the barter system, you know, is, is way different than yeah. what we're used to in North America where the price is what the price is. Like that's, that's totally different. So when an offer comes in, you know, some of the background about yeah. where this is and you can, you can adapt yourself to be understanding and appreciate what it is. And I, you know, I suggest anybody go and visit some of these countries and things like that to get that level of understanding. And if you can you imagine if I had it on, I know for myself, like you said, where someone who has, you know, a, a thick accent, you can tell right away they're, you know, they speak Punjabi and you can say hello and, you know, thank you for the offer in Punjabi. Like that's going to go like this. Like you said, it's going to blow people away. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, you know, you, yeah. here's the other part, Lindsay, like you have to live those moments. Like you have to stick. It's not something in that you just rest on, 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 on the chair and hoping it will happen. Right. I'm very conscious about seeking out those opportunities because I know how it makes other people feel, you know, yeah. um, you know, I, I, you know, case on point, like when I came to, to leaving Aria, I started, um, and when I was told that I would be handling the Canadian network, um, you know, being bilingual, you have Quebec and Montreal, um, and you know, it, it just English everywhere else. So having that opportunity for me was priceless. So one of our members, right? Like, um, it's been a while since she got in touch with the network. Um, she just wanted a meeting, um, with uh, someone from Leading RA. It just happened that I took over the Canadian accounts. So I set up time and I went to Montreal to meet with her. Um, there is something she could have said in English, right? <laughs> About sort of the, the business, she didn't. She learned, you know, she thought I, when I was writing in French to her on email, I was being polite, right? So she'd always replied back in English. And so when yes. we met and we sat down for lunch, I started speaking to her in French and it was like a whole, right? Like a whole world opened up, right? Yes. She had a lot of things that she wanted to say, like about the business, about some things that we could do better, some feedbacks that she, she could never just kind of find the way to, to express it. This was literally cathartic for her, right? Like that's what these illusions create is that sometimes people try to do, you know, uh, you know, they, they, they try to assimilate to whether Canadian or American culture uh, by speaking the language, right, to the best that they can. Um, and, you know, they have so much to say. They only limit themselves because they don't know that we will understand them. By you even attempting to say, hello, how are you in their language, you're showing that you're willing to meet them where they are, which is yeah. the most privileged, you know, and I say privileged, like this is, it is so amazing what happened when you cross that bridge because then people, not only are they speaking to you in English, but they tell you things too, things that they wouldn't normally say under a formal situation, right? Everyone who has sold real estate myself, right? There's a moment that we all seek to have is where we are at the kitchen table 
talking to her clients about their real estate need. I don't care if you use a CRM for connecting, right? This is the moment we all find, we all trying to get because we all know that when we sit down there, we have a conversation with our clients, they're telling us their needs. It's right there. Like this is where the sale happened. Yeah. Limiting ourselves when this is not the moment we're trying to, to attain. And that moment can literally be attained by you simply greeting someone in the mother tongue. Yeah. You don't have to like be fluent in it. Just you knowing the customs and how to greet someone in there shows a different level of interest. That's beyond just the business. It's interest to them, an interest to the culture, an interest to what they value, and you know, speech language. Right, and and I think this is also the takeaway here. You know, there's other things that people consider personal, like in terms of identity. Language is one of them. Right. So if you're showing that you care about a person enough to at least say some things in their language, boy, you got yeah. that, right? You don't need to be at a kitchen table, right? Like then you get invited now to the kitchen table, not to just yeah. sit there and do business, like to experience something that you would never had the opportunity to experience before. That's where a caller to me fades away. Like it, it, at that point, it doesn't even exist, right? Like you, you get invited to weddings, you can, you know, like that family becomes the view as one of their own, right? You know, you helping cousins and other family members moving in, right? You are their person. That's, to me, that's what we should be aspiring towards, right? And once your business reaches that point, color has nothing to do with it, right? Yeah. Nothing. You know, transactions and clients just come because now they know, you know, they view you as one of their own, you know? Yeah. Billy, that's, that's so great. I love that. And taking that, that interest, um, you know, being curious enough, cause we don't get to choose. We don't get to choose our color. We didn't get to choose our race. And, no. and, and that's, that put, that's for goes for anybody who yeah. is, um, you know, white or, or East Indian or Aboriginal or black or whatever has to, mm-hmm. you don't get to choose. This is the card the hand you're dealt. And I think we all need to show interest and curiosity in others. And yeah. that would be, that would be a great place to start you know, um, as, as part of this, um, Billy, we're out of time and I, uh, I just can't thank you enough for, uh, the knowledge and the the value that you shared with us today and the perspective, uh, more importantly. And I got to say now that I've, we've, we've gone through this, uh, conversation. Now we're going to talk to you about internet leads and the next (laughs) one we're going to talk about is going to be, you know, let's, let's get down to business now. So those are, those are the conversations we're going to have next. Um, this was, this was timely, but, um, I hope everyone, uh, you know, I know everyone enjoyed this and get used to seeing Billy because we're going to be, uh, tapping his huge brain for a lot of stuff and, um, Billy, thank you for uh, coming on and, and having this conversation with us today. Oh, it is, it is my pleasure. Um, and you know, for, for everybody, everyone listening in like this, this medium where you can have exchange, right. Uh, of ideas and you know, whether you, you disagree with people, uh, this is, this is the only way to do this. Right. Um, don't, don't make silos, right. Um, having nothing to say doesn't mean that you're a bad person. You know, so much, so much of the, 
nothing good is said in rush, right? Like, so if you need to take the time to think about things, it's perfectly okay, right? And if you, if you still don't know what to do or what to say, at least start, you know, be confident enough that I guess, you know, you can reach out to me, right? If you wanted to have further conversation, Lindsay has my contact information and, you know, I don't mind if you share that, Lindsay. Um, if yep. people wanted Thank to you. just ask further questions, that's perfectly fine too. And so uh, that's it on my part. So awesome. Billy, we're getting requests for you to write a book. So please uh, <laughs> consider that. That's great. <laughs> I totally agree. What a, what a story you have. Um, I think it's fantastic. So uh, Billy, thank you again. And everybody, thank you as always for tuning in. And uh, don't forget, this is CI Realty Business Mastery. Follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and you can download and watch other episodes that we've done on uh, anywhere you get your podcasts. So just search CRL Realty Business Mastery. Billy Okofo, uh, business, uh, VP of Business Solutions for Leading Real Estate Companies of the World. Billy, thank you again. And My pleasure. All the best, everybody. We'll see you guys next week. Will do. Thanks.